Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Dieter M., Todd A., at PGM's AGAU, and Jared W. Returning to the show is Marshall Koval, President and CEO of Lumina Gold Corp., an Ecuador-focused gold copper developer advancing the large-scale Congrejos gold copper project in southern Ecuador. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol LUM and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol LMGDF. Marshall, thanks for coming back to the show. Hey, Andrew, it's great to be back with you again and uh, look forward to the opportunity to update you on our Congrejos project in Ecuador and uh, hear some of the questions that your listeners have. Well, it's good to have you back and thanks for taking our invite. Well, Marshall, how have you been and what are you seeing in the gold markets at this point? Yeah, I've been bouncing pretty much all over the world since uh, the end of December, Europe, South America, quite a few countries in South America. We have engineering work for uh, our projects um, in different countries. And one of the interesting things is the appetite for gold uh, seems to continue to be strong. And even though in the shorter term here, copper, which Congrejos uh, is about 80% gold and uh, about 20% copper, the appetite in the longer term for copper is good. Uh, the coronavirus issue in China right now has put a little bit of a lid on copper prices, but we seem to be moving into a, a part of the market where both precious metals and metals like copper um, seem to be doing good. We're starting to see gold bottom out above 1500 here. So uh, all in all, it's uh, I think we're in the beginning of a, a bullish sort of run for gold and a longer term stable market for copper. I agree. And I think we've, we're still quite early stages for appetite for the sector and for these metals to start to move. It'll be a bumpy ride, but I think we're headed higher. So since we last spoke, um, what has changed over the past year, I guess in 2019 with Illumina? Uh, we spoke earlier in the year in 2019. And what goals do you have to accomplish with this company in 2020? Yeah, let me frame where we've been and where we're headed for you. You know, if you go back to uh, 2018, we put out a preliminary economic assessment at Congrejos, and, and that had an 8.8 .8 million ounce resource that was the basis for the PEA. Um, you know, the project at that point uh, produced over 370,000 ounces of gold per year had a long life, sort of 16 year mine life. And it was very low cost, you know, $569 an ounce, all in sustaining capital, net of copper. So that kind of gave us a pretty good um, robust economics. If you were to look at the economics of that PEA um, at a $1,500 gold price, it has about a 1.3 billion um, MPV, sort of at a 5% discount rate. So between uh, 2018 and sort of the end of um, December, when we uh, put out a new resource estimate, I guess it was actually November, now we have um, the largest primary gold deposit in Ecuador. Uh, Congrejos has 16.7 million ounces of gold and 2.2 billion pounds of copper, and that's all resource categories. 
Um, you know, it's a top 15 global development project. And really, when you look at it from an investor's perspective, given the large resource in our share price, today our market cap's about 250 million Canadian. You know, we're trading at about a seven, eight dollar uh, an ounce gold equivalent um, value. And, you know, we are also trading about a 13% of the MPV that I just mentioned above. So we think there's a couple of factors there. Um, obviously, the junior market hasn't moved with the, uh, the majors and the mid-tier producers. So development stories have been lagging a bit. But also, there's a bit of an Ecuador discount uh, that we were facing as well. So basically, in the longer term, we think there's a lot of upside, uh, particularly with the upcoming milestones, which is to do a trade-off study, which we just announced, and uh, a mine plan, which will be finished in the first quarter. And that will support an updated PEA. And, and the reason we're doing that is the 2018 um, PEA only included the Grejos deposit. Now we've made a substantial discovery at our Gran Bestia uh, deposit, which is a kilometer from Congrejos. And the updated PEA that we'll have done in the second quarter of 2020 will include both projects. And I guess the last point there is the um, majority of the Congrejos deposit itself is at pre-feasibility study level. But we wanted to be able to define the project with both deposits in it. So that's really what's changed and where we're headed um, this year as far as the project goes and the field work and engineering work. Appreciate that update and some different things that are moving here. And I agree with your standpoint that it's not like 2016, the first half of the year where we saw everything pop quite substantially. Uh, this is a slow and steady rise and it hasn't necessarily filtered down into this sector of the market yet and you know what's interesting i'm looking at goldex uh, mining's website and they're talking about advancing south america's largest undeveloped gold deposit owned by a junior i think i'd beg to differ with that statement given what lumina is doing in ecuador but uh, we'll leave that for another topic <laughs> thanks yeah. let me just address that a little bit kind of in sure. the context globally, right? So if you look at the roughly 17 million ounces of gold in the resource in the 2.2 billion pounds of copper at um, Congrejos, um, that's the 38th largest primary gold asset in the world, independent of whether it's a producer, a developer, or exploration. And, you know, that 2018 um, PEA that we did, it was the 14th largest undeveloped gold project in the world. And, and that was based on projects that could produce over uh, 250,000 ounces a year. And within that, it was the fifth largest primary gold deposit held by a developer. So in other words, um, you know, nine other deposits that were larger were held by uh, majors and mid-tiers. So that kind of, kind of puts it into perspective. Substantially different asset with what Lumina has than what's being portrayed across maybe some other companies who may not have all their facts straight. So your thoughts on the share price of Lumina at this point, not doing much since it came down from the early 2017 highs. Shares have been chopping in that range, uh, even with a notable move in gold prices. I have my opinions on that, but, but some folks in the market appear to be disappointed and probably impatient. What's your thoughts right. on share price performance? You know, back to the uh, earlier comment I made about um, developers and particularly Ecuadorian developers uh, having a bit of a, a discount to the market. 
So we did um, some work where we looked at PNAV uh, valuations and, and we took all of the developers in um, Ecuador, Solgold, Aventis, INV Metals, Salazar, Lumina, Luminex, and they traded about 0.27 um, PNAV when we did this. And if you look at the Western world developers, sort of the Cisco Mining, uh, Marathon, Liberty Gold, Minus, Midas, Orion, Integra, they trade at sort of a, a 0.59. So there's there's a built-in um, Ecuador discount that's one of the issues that, that we struggle with. And I think uh, part of that has to do with Ecuador's history, uh, where Ecuador's been. And uh, there's a general perception that you can't, uh, it's not easy to operate in um, Ecuador. But what I would put out there for you is, you know, Ecuador, there's there's proof that you can develop, construct, and operate mines in the country. At, at last quarter of 2019, both Lundin Gold and the Mirador project that's owned by EXA, which is Tongling Mining, went into production. So, you know, if you look at, at Fruta, you know, it took three and a half years to go from feasibility study to uh, commissioning. Um, the Mirador took a little bit longer. So, you know, Fruta is a different type of project than Congreos. It's a um, high-grade underground deposit, whereas Congreos is a large, uh, lower-grade, more of a porphyry copper style deposit. So the Mirador is a, is a 60,000 ton per day copper project and Congreos will start at 40 and in year five ramp up to uh, 80,000 tons today. So what you gotta think of is this project on the scale of a uh, porphyry copper deposit. So I think, I think that it coupled, um, you know, the Ecuador discount coupled with the general lack of, uh, mobility in the junior developer space across the whole world, basically. I think those are the two factors that continue to um, impact share price. And I think once we have the PEA out and we can demonstrate a larger project and, and hopefully better economics, um, hopefully that'll help move the share price. And even with that, in light of the conditions in the market and in Ecuador, the shares have been quite strong. I mean, it's been in a fairly tight range and we haven't seen shares go back anywhere close to what things were in 2015. So interesting points. Uh, how about Ecuador? I wanted to ask you about this. I, I know that we're very comfortable with Ecuador as a jurisdiction for us, uh, but for the audience who might be on the fence, can you update us on the events there and also what you're hearing going forward for the country and the mining sector there? Yeah, if you look at Ecuador historically, I mean, it's got, it's the Andean region and, and the Cordilleran and the Andes stretch from Chile all the way up through Peru, Ecuador, and into Colombia. And geology, similar type geology, really good terrain for gold and copper. Um, you know, the largest copper producing countries in the world, uh, at least two of them are Chile and Peru. The geology is the same. So, because of politics historically in Ecuador, it's it's remained one of the geologically the last um, systematically unexplored terrain um, in the region. So the the chance of discovery in Ecuador from a geologic technical perspective is really high. The reason that it's kind of been left out of the boom that happened through the super cycle in Chile and Peru and and a bit in Colombia is that 
um, basically politics. So, you know, you had leftist populist government in place in 2008. There was a moratorium on new mining concessions. Plus, it had a, a punitive fiscal regime. Well, if you fast forward to today, most of that's been cleaned up. They eliminated the windfall profit tax. You know, they brought Wood McKenzie in to help them make a competitive fiscal regime. They changed uh, royalty structure. It used to be the royalty to the government was five to eight percent. Now it's three to eight percent, and you negotiate that once you get closer to production. And all these things kind of bode well. And and really, if you fast forward to today, and you look at uh, who's coming to uh, Ecuador, you've got BHP, Anglo American, Newcrest, Fortescue. Uh, Wheaton, Dundee, Precious Metals, uh, Southern Copper, Cadelco. So, so Ecuador is a real prime area for new new mine development. Um, basically, you know, when you look at it, we also have a we spun out of Lumina Gold, Luminex Resources, and we have quite a few copper deposits earlier stage, and then we have the Condor project where we made a gold discovery at the camp zone. And, and there's a lot of interest um, through the country. And within Luminex, we have joint ventures with BHP and Anglo on some of our copper assets. So there's a lot of interest in Ecuador. Um, I think the fact that I mentioned earlier with Lundin getting permitted into production and Mirador, as those projects move forward and they, they're successful quarter after quarter, I think you'll see a lot more comfort with Ecuador as a mining destination. Agreed. And can you speak just briefly to the protests that happened in 2019, mostly uncovered uh, throughout most of your main media outlets? Can you speak to just what the government did at that point to to take care and, and resolve the issues with, with the folks who were protesting? Can you give us an update on what the status is there? Yeah. So it um, happens that um, right at the worst day of the protest that I, I happened to land in Quito, and basically, so I was on the ground and I kind of saw this firsthand. So the majority of what the issue was all about was, you know, Ecuador has been trying to come back into the broader uh, world economy. You know, it, it, it had been kind of left out just because of the politics. And, you know, they started to work with the World Bank, um, the IMF. They took a loan from the IMF that was about $4 billion. And, you know, the country had been reliant on uh, oil and gas. And that really went, you know, last five or six years was really down. So they, they got themselves into a pretty deep hole. So they went to the IMF. They took money. Once you take money from the IMF and all, they want austerity and they want some measures to uh, correct that. And the long and the short of it is the uh, President Moreno decided to eliminate the subsidy that they had in the country on fuel. So basically where this really happened was transportation. So basically overnight when he eliminated the subsidy that had been in place for 40 years, a bus fare went from 10 cents to 35 cents. So the transportation workers struck. And then the people that were really affected by this were some of the indigenous communities and, and the poorer population. And, and they started to go to the street. And then there was a bit of um, reporting that uh, Correa's, a lot of loyalists to Correa were looking at um, Correa potentially coming back in power. And the long and the short, there was violence, there were street demonstrations. And then 
the indigenous Kanaye um, Federation basically wanted a dialogue with the president. He agreed to a dialogue. And then after that, this was on a Monday, he agreed to roll back the, um, put the subsidies back in place. And the next day, the country went back to normal. Now, I haven't said that during the demonstrations, uh, neither Luminex or our Lumina Gold um, operations were affected by it at all. So I was just down there, uh, I guess, about eight days ago. And, you know, the, we're operating as normal in the country. Things have calmed down. Um, everything's move, moving smoothly. And there's dialogue with the government and, and various uh, groups on how to improve the economy and and you know, share that across the country. So right now, everything's stable. No, I think that was a smart move. And I can think of some other examples locally in Central and South America where governments haven't been so smart. So uh, good for Ecuador for, for making some of those moves and uh, certainly a, a good way to go because that is a fairly substantial issue. And I think if you take a, a more calculated approach, I think that there can be some ways to improve things there. And it looks like they've started down a really good path. So I appreciate the update there. Let's go over to capital structure at Lumina. Can you just yeah. briefly tell us about shares out, the cash yeah. debt situation? Key shareholders are left on the roster, and will you see the need to finance this year? Right. So, so basically, um, issued an outstanding shares were at about 330 million. Fully diluted, there's about 12 million in addition to that, and that's primarily options to employees. We don't have warrants or anything. The market cap, uh, I think we were trading at 70 cents uh, a share Canadian today, puts us at about 250 million. We've got, um, we did a financing in December for 9 million Canadian. And Ross Beattie um, took his share position. He's the founder of the group and, and the largest individual shareholder. He took it up to 19.9% on that deal. Management and the board have an additional 9.6%. There's an Ecuadorian uh, entrepreneurial group that has about 9%. And then Route One, who's a diversified investment fund out of San Francisco, has 6.4%. So right now, um, we're, we're looking at being able to pull ourselves through the PEA engineering and keep operations going through most of the balance of next year. And then um, Ross had announced in a conference in Vancouver a few weeks back that, um, you know, we're an exploration development company and the Lumina Group's history has been to acquire assets, add value, de-risk them, and then exit to somebody that would ultimately build them. So we, um, you know, Ross had mentioned that the hope is within 2020 here that we exit the project and, and turn it over to somebody that would construct it. And all of the work that we're doing is, is moving in that direction so that if, if we were successful, um, that the project could continue on on the development track and permitting track and you know, be built in a five, six year time frame. Well, let's move right into the buyout discussion because that was the next uh, set of questions here that I have for you. Are there multiple suitor discussions going on at this moment? And do you see a buyout announcement coming this year? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the sort of thing that I, I wouldn't speculate. I'd kind of leave it with Ross's comment that, you know, it's sort of his desire to see that happen. And again, he's the largest shareholder. 
um, you know, we have interest in the project and, and we have signed CAs and I guess that's probably all I, I'd feel comfortable talking about at this point. So, so there's multiple confidentiality agreements in place, so that probably means multiple suitors. Can you speak to what management wants Marshall as a minimal acceptable offer or a minimum share price for such a purchase? I think I'm going to leave that one alone a bit, but I think if you go back and you look at some of the um, the valuations that I talked about earlier and, and trading at such a significant discount to NAV, you know, what we've generally seen, for instance, Lundin, who's now in production in Ecuador, their PNAV is a, a bit over one. The sort of numbers you'd expect on a deal like this in a, in a normal type market, you know, are sort of 0 0.55, 0.65 sort of range to PNAV. And, and that's, you know, that's what you would see if you look across the developers where deals have been done recently. So I think that's, you know, that's what we'd love to see, but there's a long way to go here before I can comment any further on where we're at, right? And where were you guys at as far as uh, value? You get, was it 0.14? No, 0.2. Well, at today's share price is probably 0.3. So point three, and you guys probably uh, you're just speaking to other transactions are around the, the yeah. point five or point seven. Yeah, and that range somewhere in there. Yeah. Okay, very well. So just looking here, and I, I think my math's correct, but I think you guys today have about a two hundred thirty-two million Canadian market cap. So I guess it would be reasonable to see potentially at least a double or triple from here. Does that sound about right? I'm going to let you do that math, and I'll let you live with what you just said. <laughs> okay, oh, very well. So what is the reasoning to attract a sale now? If it was to occur, would you see that this is really kind of an early cycle sale, which may not command the premiums that you guys have seen in the past with past Illumina Group transactions? Can you can you speak to your guys' thoughts on where you are? I know the project's more advanced, but we are still fairly early stage. What's the motivation to potentially seek a sale now, Marshall? Well, I think, you know, there's continued upside exploration potential, particularly with the, the Grand Bestia area. But, you know, before we even contemplated um, entertaining CAs and any inbound interest that we've had, we really wanted to understand this Grand Bestia deposit and, and what it meant to a project. And I think at this stage, you know, the quantum that we've reached is we've, um, from the first resource estimate we did, we doubled it to the 2018 resource of 8.8 .8 million ounces. And now we more or less doubled it again. So I think we understand the scale of the project now and we're doing a lot of the de-risking and that, that allows us to give a, our own internal view of kind of value and what needs to be done going forward. And I think there's not the next level that you could jump up to to make this thing any bigger um, obviously, you could spend more money on um, drilling, and incrementally, that wouldn't add that much to the overall story. So, at this point, you know, it's it's de-risking the project, doing the environmental work, doing the social work, doing the metallurgy, the mine planning, all the geotechnical engineering, the process metallurgy, and, and demonstrating that technically um, you can move the project forward. And, and we understand that well enough that we can look at our own view on what value is and, and what would be a fair uh, share price should we have the, 
opportunity to do a deal. Do you guys, with the advancement to take it forward, if if there isn't a transaction, well, first, let me ask you this. You guys are not taking no premium buyouts, right? Uh, I'm on the board of Equinox Gold, and, and you know, <laughs> we, did, we announced the deal, the merger with um, Leah Gold, and it was a no premium deal. But that's a totally different type of um, operation and company. So, yeah, the development stories, you wouldn't look at a no premium sort of deal. Um, okay. Story. Yeah, absolutely. No, completely different animals, uh, the legal Equinox merger. And I can understand why it was done and, and why yeah. there was no premium. So I'm glad you guys are on the position at Lumina that uh, this is a whole different situation here that certainly, in, in my view, better command a, a significant premium from current prices, uh, at least the way we see it. Can you speak to, you guys are working on the updated PEA. Yeah. But with your with your certainty level on this project, yeah. why not move to a definitive feasibility or even a pre-feasibility? And do you guys feel like when you guys move that advancement forward, which you guys are certainly capable of. We've seen other maybe potential companies like maybe a pure gold that, that has moved through and then made a construction decision. A buyout hasn't happened yet, but nonetheless, they're moving forward. Um, and I know that project's much smaller than, than what you guys are dealing with here, but right. do you feel like you guys can extract more value by going ahead with a pre-feasibility and moving this thing forward in that fashion and also with your guys' understanding that Grand Bastia and maybe some other things at Congrejos can be expanded. What's your thoughts? Yeah, so I think there's a couple points that I'll make there. You know, through the Lumina Group history, you know, we had some, and I've been involved since 2004 with Ross Beatty. And if you look at the Lumina Copper stories, you know, the, the first project we sold was the uh, Relinci, or Regalito project, which is the Casseroni's mine today. And that was basically some initial engineering, not even a PEA level, uh, and that deal was sold. Then I ran Northern Pru Copper, and I was CEO there, and we sold that after a pre-feasibility study was done. And then Relincio, we were working on a PEA when tech bought us out. So transactions can happen anywhere in the cycle. And, and the main thing is, uh, I mentioned earlier on Congrejos, that the main Congrejos deposit and a lot of the infrastructure and, and that sort of stuff, that work is already to a pre-feasibility level. So if I take your earlier question, if, if a sale doesn't occur in the near term here um, and we complete a PEA, we would look at continuing to, to potentially move it on to a PFS. And obviously that's a board decision. Right now, we've got the mandate from the board to complete the PEA, including Grand Bestia, but it wouldn't be a, a huge effort to move move the completed PEA in 2020 to a pre-fees if, if that's the path that the board elected to go, you know, assuming that there was no transaction. Right. And I, I think you guys have done a lot of work up front here and, and you guys, with your level of certainty and confidence in the project, that you guys could move that forward if, if wanted how about the expansion potential? Do you guys see that, that Grand Basia certainly is a notable find, but do you see that other real opportunities exist to further expand Congrejos in a way that would also be value amenable at this point? Yeah, so Congrejos is open at depth to a certain extent and to the southwest. There, there is some potential further drilling that you could do to add some ounces, but most of the upside potential within those two deposits is, is Grand Bestia itself. 
which is open to the northwest. And we've drilled up to a ridge line on Grand Bestia, and there's breccia outcrops that are mineralized right at the surface. And we stopped drilling uh, last year so that we could incorporate this into the PEA. And there's quite a bit of area down the other, um, the other side of the ridge that you could continue to grow Grambestia. So Grambestia has the potential to increase quite a bit. And then there's other targets within our land package that could potentially um, be explored. You know, there's places where we have drill holes that show promise. But, you know, we've been focused on the two main mineralized area that have been identified to date. You know, you made mention back to prior some of the copper ventures and so forth, and, and obviously the market was was in a in a fantastic position during yeah. that time where, where it commanded some some significant premiums. Are you guys comfortable with where it is today in the cycle? Are you guys comfortable with, with what a potential value would be for the project, or do you guys feel like you're potentially missing out on on some substantial upside in a market where sentiment and and companies are more on the hunt. I think if you look at it sort of day to day when you you track the share price, you know obviously what we talked about earlier with the uh, junior developer space not moving up and and not having the recognition um, that sort of some of the other players uh, mid tier mid-tier companies and, and major producers have at some point that's going to turn around and that's that's going to start moving up and i i think with gold kind of stabilizing and, and appearing to form a bottom sort of above 1500 around 1550 these days if we see an upward movement above 1600 i think things will start moving up and I think we're comfortable where we're sitting right now with what we've done on the project and what we could put forward to demonstrate the viability of the project um, into the future, uh, or at least de-risk it so that it has the potential to be viable in the future. And, and we feel pretty good that um, we understand those metrics. And as the junior developer space in the Ecuador space get a little bit better and I, as i mentioned earlier lundin's success and mirador's success there over the next few quarters and they can demonstrate you know that you can operate in ecuador uh, efficiently i think all those things will help our share price and how about on the gold price side as far as you know you guys have mentioned some all-in sustaining costs here with the copper credits can you speak to where you guys or maybe people that are looking to acquire, where is this project, as far as gold price goes, where does this project remain robust on the internal rate of return side and also on the all-in cost side? Are we are we comfortable at 1,300 gold? What What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, the um, let me just kind of uh, sort of run you through a little bit of that without getting too deep in the weeds with numbers. But, you know, we did the, um, the PEA at $1,300 gold and at the time, it, it included 325 copper. Copper was a bit higher in um, sort of 2008, 18 when we did this. But if if you look at a 10% higher sort of um, gold price at at 1430 and and say 350 copper, for instance, you know the project has an NPV uh, after tax of. Uh, or an IRR after tax of 18.4% and NPV at $2.1 billion, right? Or pre-tax, sorry, $2.1 billion and, and $1.3 billion post-tax, after tax. So, you know, 
doing the study at, uh, we designed the pit, for instance, at 1250, we used 1300 for economics. And now moving forward into this gold environment where we're now, where you have a lot of the analysts looking at longer term gold prices above 1400, you know, that bodes pretty well for the project. So I think we'll be in, in good shape. And, um, you know, you met, I mentioned earlier the all-in sustaining cost net of um, copper at 569 an ounce. And the capital intensity of the project based on the PEA in 2018 was about $250 an ounce. So, you know, the project economically squares up pretty good with its peers, development peers. Well, Marshall, if there was a sale this year, of which we were not in favor of, if it is anywhere near current share price levels, what will you be doing with your time going forward and what companies will be your focus? So that's a great question. So I'm still CEO of um, Luminex Resources. And I mentioned earlier that um, we've got two JVs, one with VHP on our Tarkey copper project and the other one with Anglo-American on our Pegasus. Pegasus is uh, our largest land package. It's 65,000 hectares and Tarkey is about 5,000 hectares. So BHP is looking at a couple of deposits specifically, and then Anglo is looking at a district scale place. So I'll be continuing to run Luminex. Um, and also within Luminex, we have this camp zone discovery. And it's a near surface, um, you know, true thickness. We've had some intercepts of up to 30 meters of five grams per ton gold. And we're right now in the process of updating a mineral resource uh, or making a maiden mineral resource for the camp zone that we'll have out in this quarter. We're starting to do metallurgy. And this is 35 kilometers south of Fruta del Norte in the same trend, similar geologically. And, you know, so that's pretty exciting. So that'll be the main focus uh, post Lumina Gold. And then again, I'm on the board of uh, Equinox Resources uh, or Equinox Gold with Ross. And, uh, you know, that takes a fair bit of time. And then we have uh, a private company in Poland. And then we, uh, we have another company, Strategic Resources, that's in the vanadium space. So I have plenty to do. Well, uh, appreciate that, and, and certainly Luminex is, is one that we have over here at Smith Weekly as well as Lumina and continue to support that, and, and you guys have a, a, a substantial package and um, some interesting JV arrangements um, with some bigger folks, and also you guys, I believe, uh, Marshall Luminex has, is it the second largest land package next to, to Keith and Ariania? Well, if you if you put um, loop when, when everything, yeah, that's more or less correct, but that, that was when everything was in Lumina Gold. But we're still pretty much in that ballpark just with Luminac, right? Well, now it'll be interesting to see uh, going forward. Uh, you got some other stuff, uh, work cut out for you. So it'll be good to see you continuing in the, with these companies and the Lumina group going forward. Well, why should new investors be taking a stake in Lumina today or even existing shareholders adding to their position? What would you say to investors at this point? Well, I think if you go back to... Um, the ability of the team to execute and, and de-risk and move these projects forward. I mean, most of us have been, worked together 10 years plus, even our consultants. I think we technically are, have the ability to do that. We have the ability to work within the community, socially with the government um, to advance projects and, and, you know, that stuff's going on. But I think the biggest reason to buy is the discount. You know, if you look at the resource, and uh, our share price being in the order of seven or eight dollars per ounce of gold, 
um, you know, that's, uh, that's a big disconnect on a valuation perspective. So I think that's, um, that's one of the main reasons. And then updating this PEA study where we've done more engineering and de-risk the project more, that'll, that should show real positive economics and, and help the project. So, you know, I think those are main catalysts and uh, also the group success record. You know, we have the ability to raise money. We have the ability to execute. We have the ability to deliver on what we tell the market we're going to do. And we've done that consistently through the Lumina Group since the founding of the group back in 2002, 2003. And the best way for investors to reach out to you and the company for more information? I go to our website and then uh, also within the website, Scott Hicks, our VP of uh, Corporate Development, he can be reached and I can be reached on the website as well. Okay. Well, Marshall, thanks for the update on Lumina. Uh, looking forward to participating and watching things progress the company and take care and we'll talk soon. Okay, Andrew, thanks for your time today and I appreciate all your listeners' interest. Let's hope that the gold market keeps going. It's pretty exciting times again. We haven't seen it for a while. Thanks again.